as we get started here today, has anyone memorized Ephesians 1, 3-14? Anybody yet? I say yet. Did you hear that? Yet. I still want to challenge you with that. If you will, I, I do want you to read it every single week, the same passage. And it's right here in the front of your little book. If you don't have one of these books, we have extras back there. And it's right there in the very front cover. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. We're going to be here for a while. And uh, if you will, I would encourage you to memorize it. I think that'd be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? Okay. I hear the resounding yes. <laughs> but we are going to read it together again this morning. Okay? So, if you follow it in your little booklet, that's great. I believe we're going to have it up here on the screen as well. Okay. You ready? All set? Here it comes. <laughs> There it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him, (coughs) the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. Woo! That's a lot. Now, just so you know, in the Greek, that's one sentence. And so, I'm not asking you to memorize two sentences. Just one. Okay? If that makes it sound better, that's what it is. We are actually going to start with, if you haven't already filled all this out, the first page, blessed. That's our sermon title today. Uh, some people have already filled it all out, so that's okay, too. We've got extras, or you need more space. Bring a notebook, too, if you want. But uh, today we're going to be in verse number 3. Verse number 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places 
in Christ. Father, please, as we come before you today as a congregation who is here to worship you, to learn to know you better, to serve you better, to love you better. We're here for a lot of reasons today, Lord. But right now we sit at your feet and say, teach us. Show us from your word what we need to know, what we need to do, what we need to understand about your love for us, that we might walk as those who are called by your purpose and for your glory. So use this time, Lord, powerfully in our life, we pray. Uh, Change us. Just because we get to spend time with you, change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's amazing thing, amazing thing to see, an amazing thing to know that God has blessed us. I know we use that phrase a lot in our vocabulary, the word blessed, when somebody sneezes. It's common to hear somebody say, God bless you, in response. Have you ever looked that up to see where that came from? Origin number one. People used to believe a sneeze caused someone to expel their soul out of their body. And so God bless you or bless you was used as a protection against the devil snatching up your soul. I think some people do sneeze hard enough to... I'm not sure, but I've heard a few of those and I would look to see. Option number two. During the Middle Ages in the 14th century of Europe... The bubonic plague was widespread, and because it was a fatal disease, people were often very religious back there, maybe superstitious, you might say. And they said, God bless you as a benediction to somebody who sneezed, because they probably weren't going to live much longer. And I don't know, maybe some sneezes do sound like you're dying. But that was a pretty tough origin, either one of these. As You may say, well, where's a Bible verse that will help me with sneezing and what to say? Um, maybe you knew all that already. But it's kind of fun. Uh, do you know what it means, though, to say, God bless you? Or do you understand what that is, that God has blessed you? We're going to define the word to start with today. In verse number 3, you might notice it is there three times. Verse number 3 starts with the adjective, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he follows with the verb, Who has blessed us with every spiritual, here's the noun, blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. An adjective, a verb, and a noun, all in one sentence, on the word blessed. The root of all three of these is the same. It is the word, ulageo, uh, just for fun. U, the first part of that, means good. It means good, or well. And the word lageo comes from lagos, which some of you might know very well. It means word. So put together, it's a good word. A good word. And it might make sense to you to hear it as, 
eulogy, which is what is common at funerals when we say a good word about those who have passed on. A eulogy. It's saying a good word. It's to speak well of something or someone. It's to bless. It's to thank. It's to invoke a blessing or a benediction. It's also used for praise. Now, I like to look into Thayer's definitions of these things. He's, he always has a list in, uh, in Greek studies. He gives a list of, of what possibilities that word will match in Scripture. And he uses item number one. The word bless means to praise or to celebrate with praises. Uh, number two, to invoke a blessing. Number three, to consecrate a thing with solemn prayer. As in asking God's blessing on a thing, or praying that God blesses something to one's use, or to pronounce a consecrated type of blessing on something. Usually we say it is, we say it as, uh, would you give a blessing for this meal? And that's a phrase we often do. I have a theory, and I've told some of you this before, about prayer at dinner time. That if you don't pray before you eat, you will be poisoned. I taught my kids these things. I also told them if you open your eyes, you'll go blind. So, that was not in Thayer. Okay, that was just two or three. Uh, number four, to be blessed of God. To be blessed of God, uh, sometimes we see it as a cause to prosper, to make one happy, to bestow a blessing, and here's the best part, favored. Favored by God. Favored by God. I underscored that because that's where we're going today. When we read verse number 3, that's the heart of what they are telling us here in this passage. Favored of God. I think of the story of Jacob, and maybe you are familiar with it as well, back in Genesis 32. In verse 22, it says that he arose at the same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Here's uh, Jacob heading back to the, the land that he was supposed to live in. He had been gone for some 14, maybe 20 years, and he's heading back, and he was a little concerned about Esau. Remember, he left Esau. They weren't doing too well together. And that's why Jacob ran, and he was gone for a long time, and he's heading back with a great deal of fear in his heart. And as he's heading back that way, he's strategizing as he goes. As he's crossing this brook, he's thinking, now how am I going to do this so I don't get attacked by Esau's men, and we all perish on the way? It's a stressful moment in the story of Jacob. And as he's doing that, he took them and sent them across the stream, it says, and he sent across whatever he had, and Jacob was left alone. He had separated all the groups, and there he was all by himself, and suddenly, the text says, a man wrestled with him until daybreak. I love this story, and I can't wait to talk to him about it. That's not your usual way. Hey, you, wrestle. Uh, I, I don't know how that works, but suddenly, they're wrestling, and they wrestled all the night long. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, that's the one he's wrestling with, he touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. 
That's what you get for wrestling with an angel. (laughs) And then Jacob wouldn't let go. And the angel, I'm telling you that because I know that's true. The angel said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, this is a man who is passionate about being blessed. (laughs) That he was willing to wrestle somebody he'd never met before, wrestle them all night long, all for the purpose that he wanted blessed. Very interesting story, isn't it? But I just look at that phrase and I said, you know, that kind of runs in the family with him. Abraham, uh, God said to him, I will bless you, right? And he even stated that all who bless him, God will bless, and all who curse him, God will curse. That's in Genesis 12 too. I will make a great nation of you. I will bless you and make your name great, and so shall you be a blessing. Do you know what Abraham did to deserve that blessing? Nothing at all. Matter of fact, that was in the first conversation we have between God and Abraham. God just walked up to him and said, I'm going to bless you. We have no conversation. Bible doesn't tell us anything else that went before that conversation regarding Abraham's understanding of God. But we do trace in the Old Testament that God used blessings and he even used curses in order to reveal to the people of Israel how they were doing with relating to him. Deuteronomy 28 and 29 are very important chapters in your Bible to understand the Old Testament. And in that, God gives a list to the Israelites. And he told them this is what they should expect if they're obedient to him. And he says, I will bless your labors, I will bless your families, I will bless you with good health, I will give good health to your family, I will give you good crops, I will give you good rain, I will give you good herds, good flocks, and safety, and on and on and on. And he reversed all that when he said, if you disobey me, I will curse you. And the curse is related very much to that in the fact that I will curse your labors, I will curse your families, I will curse their health, I will curse your crops, your rains, your herds, your flocks. And suddenly, every place you go is a dangerous place to go. And God used that as a, I, I like to picture it as a flashing red light on the dashboard. You know when that little red light comes on, that doesn't mean, oh, just think about this, it might not be too important. God used these to say, this is important, people. You're not walking with me. Or this is important. This is a sign that you are walking with me. He did that with the Israelites in the Old Testament. And it's very interesting that some who read from that passage carry it into our present day today and teach as if God only uses material blessings to show you whether or not he loves you or he blesses you. They believe that money is a sign of God's blessing or health or cars, or things like that, that they're all a sign of God's blessing. I see a lot of people in our world that have lots of money and cars and stuff, and they don't even know the Lord. I also see a lot of people who don't have those things. They don't have the money, and they don't have the health, and they don't have the cars, and yet they love the Lord dearly. And they struggle from day to day just to make it through. But that doesn't mean they're not blessed. God blesses those folks. He does. 
because they love him dearly. As we grow to understand our Lord, I believe we find in his word the simple phrases that show how much he loves us. You know very well that one of my favorite passages in the scriptures is in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And if you even travel over there in your Bibles for a minute, leave your bookmark here in Ephesians. And I just want to show you a couple of things uh, as to God's love for you. You could follow it along, and maybe you have it memorized. If that's the case, that'd be great, because you could hear what I'm saying. God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, he gave us money. No. No. Even while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. That phrase strikes at the whole definition of what blessed looks like. I told you before, this is my favorite passage in Scripture. And what I like to see here is simply this. There are three significant parts of this verse. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's start with the middle. I don't like the middle, personally. Because that's me. When I read the middle, it tells me how undeserving I am of the first part and the last part. It says, while we were yet sinners. Sin is anything you do in disobedience of God. Sin is also anything you don't do in obedience to God. Sin is an affront to a holy God. Always. There's no degree of small sin or big sin. All of them are affront to him. It insults his character and it insults his person. After all, we were made in the image of God. And yet, we have marred that image with sin. We have stained the person we were made to be. And before you start pointing your finger at Adam, remember we have come by this term sinner legitimately. Sin is missing the mark. You've heard that before. The mark is God's holiness. In action, in thought, in intention, in outcome, we have sinned. The fact is that all of us have sinned. Scripture says so, doesn't it? And it also tells us the consequence for the wages of sin is death. Technically, eternally, separation from God. That's a heavy thought. Some people do not like the word depraved. They say, oh, I don't like that word at all. It implies the worst of the worst. I ran across this definition on a website. Total depravity is a biblical teaching that human beings, since the fall, have inherited both the guilt and sin nature of Adam in such a way that absolutely everything about them is affected by sin. That does not mean every person is as sinful as they could possibly be. It does mean, though, that every part of a person has been corrupted. The heart, the mind... The will, the affections, the desires, 
the critical thinking, everything. You say, wow, that's pretty heavy. You find that in Genesis 6, 5, by the way. When God looked down upon this earth and he saw the wickedness of man, he described it. It says in Genesis 6, 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that, watch, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. All day long. The Hebrew word here says, that the Hebrew phrase says that they meditate upon this, all of his impulses, all his tendencies, all the inventions of his heart, their design and their skill and their word, they were morally depraved the whole day. That's Hebrew from Genesis 6-5. All the day long. And God looked down upon them and no wonder he said, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved. he was grieved in his heart. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 says, indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Those are sad commentaries, I know, about us. I'll read to you one more little paragraph here. You'll find it in a book called Basic Theology by Charles Ryrie. Sin may properly be defined as using all of these descriptive words for various forms as recorded in the Old and New Testament. Such a definition would be accurate, though lengthy. Indeed, it might be a good idea to define it thus. Sin is missing the mark, badness, rebellion, iniquity, going astray, wickedness, wandering, ungodliness, crime, lawlessness, transgression, ignorance, and falling away. And that was his short version (laughs) More briefly, sin has generally been defined as lawlessness. This is an accurate definition as long as law is conceived in its broadest sense, that is, defection from any of God's standards. The lack of conformity to the moral laws of God, either in act or your disposition or your state. This keeps going on and on and on, but this is what he says at the end of his paragraph Let not our word and definition study sidetrack us from remembering how terrible sin is in the sight of a holy God. Habakkuk said it succinctly. Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil, and thou canst not look on wickedness with favor. Habakkuk 1.13 Now, if we take all those thoughts that I just read to you and, and shared with you, And consider that our sinfulness is not something God could or would want to look at. Notice the first statement of Romans 5.8. Notice that first statement. That's the part that stuns me. This is, I still feel that since the first day I saw that and I understood what that verse said. It doesn't say that God hated me, though I deserve that. It doesn't say that God despised me. That would have been justifiable. It doesn't say that God was angry with me, though he was. That's what one would expect of God's thought toward the sinner. But what does it say? God demonstrates his own 
love for us. Now, if I read that in chronological order as the verse lines it out, the love preceded the death of Christ. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. I really, folks, cannot think of anything more undeserving than God's love for me. But I am quick to say, yet he does love me. I don't negate that fact at all. He demonstrates that. When he sent his son, that demonstrated it. When his son died for me, that demonstrated it. And even more, the verb is present tense. That means God is demonstrating his love for me all the time. With every heartbeat, with every breath, with everything, God has shown again and again and again His love for me. And that's true for you too. That's God's love. Even though you saw the middle, right? You saw the middle. God did something about the middle, didn't He? And that's where the verse ended. Christ died for me. Christ died for you. What's the point of all that? What is it all about? It's amazing. But listen, through Christ, we have favor with God. Do you hear it? Through Christ, we have favor with God. It's not earned by us. It's not due to our parents, no matter how great they were. I have wonderful parents. I love to talk about my parents. But they didn't give me this standing before God. I didn't get favored because of my intellect or lack of it. I didn't gain this and you didn't get this due to good looks. Thayer says to be blessed is to be favored by God. God has made a statement about you. And the statement, would you agree, is a good word. He demonstrates his love for you all the time. But folks, it's more than just a word. It's more than just that he stood up there and said, Okay, I'll bless him. And left it at that. Kenneth Weiss said it this way. When we bless God, we praise him, speak well of him. When he blesses us, it is not that he just speaks us good, but that he does us good. Our blessing is in word. His is in deed. He confers benefits upon us. So I want you to understand something. When you see that word blessed on the page, that is you positionally in Christ Jesus. I know and you know that we don't live up to that word well, do we? That position that we're told, you are blessed by God, favored by God. And yet practically, we wrestle with the sin nature, don't we? We struggle with being godly in a world like ours. Yet the true identity of a believer in Christ is we are blessed. That's not based on money. 
For if it were, you could lose it. Just as easy as you could earn it. That's not a picture of God's blessing. You wouldn't want His blessing to be that. Because it could be stolen just as easily. It could be misused. It can run out if it was money, right? Do you want that to be your blessing? I don't think so. By the way, the dollar is worth less now than it used to be. If God's blessing was monetarily, we had a bad week. Thankfully, His blessing is not because of your vehicle. You might have a fancy car today and it might be a clunker tomorrow. It might be in a shop. It might blow an engine. It might get hit by the garbage truck. Do you want that to be a sign of God's blessing to you? How long do cars last anymore? Not, not much. There's no eternal value in that. Why do we say that that's a picture of God's blessing? Thankfully, his blessing is not, a. the picture is your health, or my health. You might get COVID. We use that word a lot. I can't wait to stop using it. You might lose your hearing. You might find that the aging process is not so thrilling. I think often of those pastors out there who go about preaching the concept of a wealth-based gospel, and many times it's their pictures that are up on the billboards that I look at for a few minutes with the perfect haircuts and the perfect smiles, and you know what I mean with all that. They don't put them up there when they're 80 or 90 years old. I wonder why. I don't think they would see it the same. Give them a few years and they're Come to get to understand that bit. Aren't you glad that God didn't base his blessings on something temporal? Something that fades, something that wears out, something that won't be here tomorrow, that might be here today. If that's the way God has blessed you, you've got not only a very flimsy blessing that's not going to last, but you have a God who's really not caring and loving you. The Lord did not base his blessings on temporal things. He based them on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one you've been blessed through. The Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be, you see it in Ephesians here, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see something in there. That pronoun is important. Our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you must belong to Him, and He must belong to you to be favored by God. That's important in the whole picture of the... Paul didn't write, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He made it personal. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Is He yours? Do you claim that title? My Lord Jesus Christ. That makes all the difference in the world, folks. Because we could talk here all day long about Jesus. But you've got to know Him personally. You've got to know Him personally. And that's where the blessings lie. 
Blessings has everything to do with your relationship with God. Look even further. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Underscore those two words in your mind. If not, write them in your Bible with a line underneath them. In Christ. In Christ. And Christo in the Greek. The preposition in speaks of a fixed position. If you draw a circle and you put a dot right inside of that circle, that is the picture of that little preposition in. It's inside that circle. If that circle was Christ, where must we be? In Him. That's a fixed position. It says, as Kenneth Wee says, not merely through Christ... I mean, that would be great still, but the phrase expresses the supreme idea that pervades the epistle. Here it qualifies the whole statement of the blessing in its bestowal, its nature, and its seat. The divine blessing has its ground and reason in Christ, so that apart from Him, it could have no relation to us. We must have Him as ours. To understand how he has blessed us. It is ours by reason of his being, our being in him as our representative and head. By virtue of our incorporation in, our union with Christ. In him lay the cause that God blesses us with every spiritual blessing. Since his act of redemption is the meritorious cause of this divine bestowal of blessing. That's a lot of words. What's that mean? If you know Christ as your Savior, you are in Him. You are blessed. You are blessed. Everything, everything in Christ is given to us because of Him. That's why when I read those last words of Romans 5, 8, it stuns me still. Christ died for us. Think about that. He died for us. Do you know any other person ever to have set that kind of love as their ambition? To show the whole world as they sat in their absolute sinful state that I'm willing to die for you? And he did it so that we might be made right with God. So that we might find favor with God. I don't know about you, but that deeply humbles me. That deeply humbles me to read or say those words. I know, even though I would like to take credit for it somehow, I can't. I cannot take credit for who I am in Christ. The favor is not earned by me. It was given to me. It was given to me by the death of my Savior on my behalf. I wear the title blessed, not because of anything I've done, but because of everything He's done. That's why I can wear it. That's why you can wear it. Underscore that. Every single word in our study that you see on that little booklet, 
from chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, all of those spiritual blessings we have are due to the position we have in Christ Jesus. None of it is to our glory. All of it is to His glory. All of it is His work. And if He has purchased it by His blood, what enemy can ever wrestle it from you? What enemy could ever wrestle that from you? I love it in John where Jesus is describing that we're there in the Father's hand. No one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. And then he says, and you're also, he gives us in the next phrase, you're in my hand and nobody can snatch you. And I picture it like this. That's a pretty good place to be inside us. Who's going to snatch you from there? If this is a position bought by the blood of Christ, then it wasn't earned by you. So how could it be lost by you? Your identity is in Christ. Don't take that lightly. But do take it. Do take it. And live out your life because of it. You were made favored. Do you hear it? You have been made favored by God. He says you are blessed. I didn't make this up. You saw it in your Bibles, right? Who wrote this book? This is God's book. He says you are blessed in Christ Jesus. Are you going to argue with him today? He says you are chosen. He says you are holy. He says, you are blameless. Wait till we get to those words. Woo! Those are great. You have been predestined. You have been adopted. You have been redeemed. You have been forgiven. You have been informed of all these things. You've been made an heir. And if that's not enough, he sealed you there. According to Satan, you're none of these things. But according to God, you're all of these things and more. Don't let the enemy steal this from you. Don't let who you are in Christ be slandered by the enemy. This is Satan's strategy. Think it through. As soon as he makes you think you have earned God's favor, he will quickly show how you've lost it too. He wants you to be convinced that somehow you made that all possible. Because then he knows he's got you. He'll convince you over and over you lost it because you didn't live up to that. Christ lived up to it. That's your position in Christ. That's your position in Christ. This is your identity in Christ. In Christ, in Christ, I'm going to say it a billion times maybe. In Christ. It's not us. You've been selected by the Father Would you call that a blessing? You have been saved by the Son. You have been sealed by the Spirit. Your identity is in Christ. That's what it means to be blessed. That's what you are. Because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. What do you do with such a thing? Now go and live like it. Go and live like it. Live like you're in Christ. Think like you're in Christ. 
reason like you're in Christ. Plan like you're in Christ. Act like you're in Christ. All those things that we're so good at doing sinfully. Let's flip it around and do it for our Lord. If our minds are affected by sin and our hearts affected by sin and our actions and our thoughts and all these other things, let's start giving those to the Lord and serve Him with those hearts and those minds and those hands and those feet. Let's live out our identity in Christ. Let's do it. You've been blessed by God. This is a study that's set before you. As we go from here and look at all these other things, I'm going to repeat the same concepts over and over. You didn't do it. He did. This is what he's called you. This is what he's called you. That's why I think it's a good idea to memorize it. Why? Because pastor loves to give homework? Yes. But no, that's not the primary purpose. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Let's put it here. I'll encourage you again and I'll say it over and over again. If you're capable of doing it, put it in your heart. Memorize this passage because there's going to be the day when you're not going to carry your Bible with you and Satan's going to come along and he'll start the slander thing. And he's going to make you feel like God has just written you off. God says, uh uh-uh, I'm done with you. Uh-uh, out of here. Don't want to see you again. I've got more important things to do. You're going to feel that way. And I've felt that way too, haven't you? You get down into some place and God says, uh-uh, you think that. Satan loves to point his little finger right there and say, see, you don't deserve this. And then you could turn around and look him in the eye and say, I know I don't deserve it. Christ did it for me. This is the difference of Christ and what he's done for me. That's why I want to study this with you. This is where people struggle. Christians struggle. Do you know that? They struggle. They struggle because sometimes we don't remember our identity. Who are you? You are in Christ Jesus. That makes all the difference in the world. So let's go to know this better. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Let's not be careless. Let's be careful. and Understand it right and live it out. Heavenly Father, help us. We're walking through passages that are very deep, very challenging. And yet, Lord, impress upon us what we must know and see and do and think. Impress upon us what you have done and the difference it's made in our lives. That we might live accordingly. We live in a very wicked world. Lord, there's evidence of that everywhere. And you see it. You know it. We have what your word has given to us. Your statements about us our Savior who died for us. We have it right here in our lap. We could read it ourselves that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And we turn around and say, praise your name. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. Thank you, Savior, for giving your life for us. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping us understand it. Now, help us live it, please, Lord. I know that's what you're working in our lives. We appeal for that again. 
thank you for what you're doing. If somebody is struggling here today, Lord, show them these words very clearly, very, very precisely in their hearts that they may see how much you love them. And I thank you, Lord, for that in Jesus' name. Amen.